Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Beaver Parish Church. Hello folks. Nothing too dramatic is about to happen next. We're just going to have three stories. I thought it would be cool if we just kind of shared some stories. Now, um, there are three stories and they happen in three different time zones. Um, They happen in three completely different places. One of them happens in Jerusalem, one of them happens in India, and one of them happens much closer to home. Uh, There are three lessons to be taken from each of the three stories, and each of the three lessons can be described in three words. So, how many minutes do you think it's going to take for me to tell each of those stories? Wrong. Yes. Who said an hour and a half? (laughs) Yes. Um, Well, hopefully not all that long. Not three hours, not three minutes, but somewhere in between. But the three lessons that we're going to take from each of these three stories that are described in three words are as follows. Life is tough. God is good. And we're stronger together. So hopefully by the end of our three stories, you'll be able to remember each of those three pretty simple, straightforward things. So the first story that we're going to delve into is the one that happens the longest time ago, two and a half thousand years ago, and way off in Jerusalem. It's the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Now, for those of you who watch Scattered Together, I know that's almost everybody. This will be like a little kind of revision, uh, a little kind of summary of the last couple of weeks. For those of you who haven't caught up with Scattered Together yet, well. I know you don't really exist, but uh, this will hopefully inspire you to give it a try because it has been awesome the last few weeks to go through the book of Nehemiah. Now, let's be honest. Had anyone read it really properly? (laughs) Would anyone have even been able to find it? You should count yourselves lucky that um, because of health and safety, the Bibles have all been removed from the pews, haven't they? Because if they hadn't been, I would have challenged you all to try and find Nehemiah somewhere buried uh, in the Old Testament, and it would have taken you all a couple of minutes. Um, But it's one of those books that if you ever have briefly glanced at it or taken a little flick past it. It's one of those Old Testament books that is full of Jehelababel was the father of Bahobobabel. And, uh, you know, there's kind of uh, lots of lots of insurmountable names uh, and places. And it's all, um, oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm not sure you would ever sort of just look at it and think, ah, oh, I think I'll sit and, uh, and read that for pleasure. But in Scattered Together, for the last six weeks, we have been going through the story of Nehemiah and it is incredible. It's a brilliant story, and it has an unbelievable amount to tell us. It's incredibly relevant. There's a lot of stuff that happened in Jerusalem two and a half thousand years ago that has a kind of direct connection to the stuff that we're going through, the stuff that we're feeling, and the stuff that we're struggling with in 2020 here in Beaver. So, a little kind of um, summary. We've called it, each week has been the big something. So these are the big somethings, our six uh, weeks so far of going through the story. So the story all starts when Nehemiah, who works for uh, the king of 
Persia, isn't that right? You, you guys can keep me right if, I'm, if I, if I get names and things wrong. Uh, so he's the cupbearer on the left-hand side to the king on the right-hand side, and he hears that Jerusalem, which would have been his homeland, um, but generations before, he's never actually been to Jerusalem, but he hears it's been destroyed. It's, it's lying in rubble and in ruins. And something in Nehemiah just says, well, that's not right. That should not be. We have to rebuild this city. It shouldn't be lying in ruins. So the first week was chapter one of Nehemiah is the big ask when Nehemiah goes to the king and boldly asks for permission to leave his job in Persia and go back to Jerusalem to help with the rebuilding. And he decided that he needed to tell the king what he wanted. And rather than hold back and just hold on to, maybe I'll just ease in gently, Nehemiah just let it all out. Said, here's what I would like. So week one was the big ask. Week two was the big bang, because that bold question, Nehemiah getting the permission to go back to Jerusalem and start the rebuilding, led to an explosion of something from nothing. A city which had been lying in ruins started to be rebuilt. God explodes new things, something out of nothing. And Nehemiah chapter 2 is full of new things appearing out of nothing. These people said, let us start rebuilding. So that little verse, let's start rebuilding. Uh, what was despair and hopelessness and rubble gradually started to explode into life and just like the Big Bang was something from nothing. Um, all sorts of beauty and creativity and wonder and oh, just sort of amazing things started to happen because of that simple verse, let us start rebuilding. So the next chapter, Nehemiah chapter 3, is the story of all of the people who got involved with the rebuilding. And that is the chapter that really puts you off if you're sitting trying to uh, kind of look through it. That's the one that's full of all the names of who beget who and who was the father of who. Uh, and so as part of our Scattered Together that week, we had the big build. Uh, as we went through Nehemiah chapter 3, we were talking not just about the physical building of the walls of Jerusalem, but the fact that this whole big community came together. All sorts of different people, and some Egypt had the bright idea to uh, put on a lot of different hats to represent the different people. Uh, so you had all of these different characters, uh, the perfume makers, uh, the goldsmiths, the priests, the daughters, the families. We had all the kind of details of who got involved and why they got involved. We heard about the people who built right outside their own front doors. We heard about the people who rebuilt the gates. We got this sense of this immense community all coming together because they got swept up by this project that was about so much more than just putting one brick on top of another. It was about rebuilding a city, rebuilding a community, and they all got involved, uh, and they all, uh, they, they all just got excited uh, because they were part of something so huge. Now, inevitably then, when something starts going really well, there is the big risk. Because then as soon as the walls started to be rebuilt, everybody started to worry. What if we fail? What if we can't finish? What will people say about us? Will they be laughing at us? And so for 
Nehemiah chapter 4, we looked at all of those little kind of inner voices that started to torture everybody, uh, where they were worried that they were just going to look, uh, they were going to look stupid. And aware of the possibility that it might not work, and what they might look like, and sure enough we read in this story that he hears the voices from these people who are not Jews, who are not part of this community, but who are... um, leading lights in the nations and tribes from around. And we hear these things. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifice again? Will they finish in a day? Sure, if foxes ran on top of what they're building, it would all fall down. How can they possibly find bricks in that rubble? All these things coming their direction. It's like Nia's reaction to the possibility of failure and of risk and of maybe not doing the right thing is to lean further into God. So for that week, for Nahum chapter 5, we started to look at that challenge. And like I say, these are all things that are so relevant to us when those little voices of self-doubt and you can't do that and people are just going to laugh at you and think you look stupid, when those start to occur to us, as Adrian said, we lean into God. It's, um, it keeps going back to my favorite Old Testament story, David and Goliath. Uh, When David stands up with his little sling uh, and faces Goliath, does he concentrate on the problem? Does he concentrate on the strength and the might and the military armor of Goliath? Or does he concentrate on God? Uh, And it's only by concentrating on God rather than fretting about the problem that he has the courage to step forward. And the same thing happens to Nehemiah when they worry uh, about the practicalities and the opposition and the reputation that might get damaged by all of this. Then they could just get completely shut down by all of that. But when they concentrate on God, they have the courage to continue. So that was Nehemiah chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, we looked about how this cool thing happened when the wall was going up and the city was being rebuilt. All of a sudden, Nehemiah realizes that the poor are being exploited. All these people who are scrabbling around in the, in the rubble, there are moneylenders who are profiting off the whole thing. Uh, and this community that's being rebuilt, the wall is going up, but the poor are still being exploited and abused. And so he realizes, this isn't right. This can't be. It's not a living example that it's meant to be. So when Nehemiah comes back, I think it's deep in his heart that he isn't just building a city. They're not just building walls and streets and marketplaces and everything, but they're trying to rebuild this community that is a living example of what God's heart is. So in this chapter 5 that we read today, Nehemiah realizes that there's no point in building the infrastructure of a city and a community if the community itself is broken. And then we looked at a few little clips from our daily candles uh, from a few months ago about how we've been through a similar sort of process ourselves over this last season where um, it's actually not just physical rebuilding, but actually community rebuilding that's been happening as we've helped out our neighbors, as we've clapped our carers, uh, as we've been involved in this sort of groundswell of, um, of just of community, that actually that big society has started to be built. It's not just about physical infrastructure, but about inner transformation. 
And then bringing us right up to date, uh, this morning, Michael Wardlow um, was talking about the big message about how Nehemiah uh, faced all of these different attacks, and it got all very exciting this morning. There was actually physical attacks. There was all kinds of uh, kind of drama. Uh, Nehemiah was potentially being lured away by people who meant him physical harm, uh, and Michael led us to see how actually Nehemiah's ability to discern the voice of God, to listen to the guidance of God, helped him in all of those physical attacks. So Nehemiah was attacked on three fronts, and we likewise often find ourselves under attack when we're pursuing God's will. Attacks can be on our ego, our reputation, or even physical. But at this time, like with Nehemiah, it's vital to discern what's true and what's happening. It's vital to recall that God is God, whatever's happening. And then to remember the words of the risen Jesus and the Jesus in the upper room. In this world you will have trouble. Not you might, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In the past tense, on the cross. So that is the story of Nehemiah so far. There was rubble, there was hopelessness, things did not look good, it wasn't right. And then this group of people got together to fix what was broken. And it was tough, it was a hard job, it was hard scrabble work, grubbling around in the rubble. And they faced all sorts of opposition. They had people laughing at them, and as Michael brought us to this morning, they even had people physically attacking them. Life was tough. But in the midst of it, God was good. They heard the voice of God guiding them. They had the sense of God strengthening them. Uh, the more they put their shoulders to the work, they more, the more they found the truth of the fact that God was good and God was with them. And they found the more the thing went on, the more they found that they were stronger together. All of these people who had just been living in their own little hovels got involved in something so much bigger than any of their individual lives and their individual homes and their individual projects. They got involved in something amazing, something that really strengthened and inspired them. So what ended up happening was just not just that they rebuilt the walls, although they did manage to rebuild the walls, but somehow in the rebuilding of the walls, they built something so much more important. They built community and they built justice. They built a new sense of reliance on God. They built a new sense of the presence of God. Their lives were completely transformed by getting together and facing these tough challenges together. So a story that happened two and a half thousand years ago in a place halfway across the world has these three lessons that are the three lessons that we still can hear today. Life is tough. We know this. God is good. We discover this. We're stronger together. This is just, uh, this is the discovery uh, of these last six months. So that's story number one, Nehemiah in Jerusalem. Story number two, I'm going to hand over to Alan. So uh, over to you. Story number two is Alan in India. Okay, good evening. Uh, my name is Alan Brown, for those of you who don't know me. And one of the things that I've done for the last 20 years is volunteered with Habitat for Humanity. 
and that has taken me on maybe about a dozen trips to various parts of the world. And these trips are usually well planned. You have about 10 months to plan and get everything in place. But this particular story started on the on Boxing Day on 2004. That day is notable for the tsunami uh, off the coast of uh, Thailand. It's caused huge devastation. And because of Habitat's work, uh, they're very often called into these disaster situations. So uh, about March time, late March, uh, there was a call for volunteers to go out to India and work out there. So this is my experience in India. Um, now, I'm going to start with this because um, like all journeys, it starts from what we know, where we are, what's familiar, and we're comfortable in that. And when we leave that, sometimes that's an uncomfortable place to go. And in this particular case, I was literally heading into the unknown, didn't know what was coming, what we were going to be doing, what we were going to see. Um, but uh, obviously, you knew it was something that needed to be done. So let's leave behind what we know, and let's go to let's let's go to India. So there it is. Um, yeah. So where we were actually going is sometimes called Land's End of India. It's the very southern tip of India. Um, next stop from this place is the Antarctic. Uh, next stop south. So a place called Kenya Kamari. And in Kenya Kamari uh, is quite a tourist spot actually in India. But just off the coast, this, this is a view from uh, my hotel room, by the way. Um, these two small islands off the coast, uh, there's a temple there and a statue. The statue is, if I can get this right, through Viravar. Uh, that statue is, a, is roughly 200 feet high. Massive thing, so you go out in a ferry and you go around that. So um, lots and lots of people do that. So um, this is an actual video of the tsunami hitting uh, those two rock, uh, two islands. Um, so considerable force. Now the thing about the tsunami was very little warning, and but but like the pandemic, this wave just comes over and destroys everything or destroys a lot of things uh, that we know. So there was a lot of physical damage. Um, that bridge was swept away. So again, it breaks connections. Um, that was a fishing boat smashed in half. So livelihoods disrupted. Um, people weren't able to, to go about their normal business, make a living. Um, and in fact, in this particular area, all the houses were completely devastated um, because 
as happens in all of these cases, it's the most vulnerable who suffer the most. Um, so people who could literally, literally had to build houses with whatever they could gather up, so um, couldn't withstand the force of the wave. But more importantly, there's a coconut grove behind that that they used uh, uh, for their livelihood. The salt water came in and salt got into the roots of the trees, so those trees are actually dying. Um, and again, uh, livelihoods destroyed. So let's go back to Kenya Kamari. That's where we were based, but we were actually um, working about 20 minutes up the coast. So let me introduce you to the village of Kutapuli. Kutapuli is about the size of Beaver Estate. Um, now, in this village, uh, you can see down, down at the shore, quite a bit of damage, uh, houses destroyed and so on. So, um, so a lot of damage in, in parts of the village. Um, and one of the other things that uh, we very quickly noticed was that People were actually still in shock. This was about four months after the event. And these two girls never spoke. We were there for a week. Saw them every day, never spoke. That's their house in the background there. Um, obviously still quite traumatized by the whole thing. A few streets back, and this is the scene, which looks idyllic. Um, problem here was that um, the salt water had got into the streets as well, and got into the plaster around the walls, and that was going to eat the structure, into the structure of the houses, and eventually they would collapse. Now, these were brick houses, strong houses, but uh, they would collapse. So this is where, we're, this was our work site. Um, those houses up in the back. This is also for anybody that was here a number of years ago and heard about my international cricket career. This was where it happened. Okay, so, but that's another story. Um, you can see the boat, uh, the remains of a fishing boat there in the foreground. So this was our job. Now, we were a collection of six people from all over. Um, no, no building skills particularly, um, but we landed in this village and we were asked to chip off the plaster so that the houses could be replastered and take off that salted uh, plaster. You can see the blue mark on the wall, that's where the water went up to and stayed there for three days. Um, no one was actually hurt in this village because their fisher, uh, they uh, rely on fishing as a livelihood and before the wave came in the sea actually went out so they knew something was seriously wrong so they actually evacuated uh, the village so no one was injured. So we started working on this and for the first half an hour the locals st stood around and watched us and just uh, we were working away and uh, they didn't do anything until this little girl, this is Mary. Mary started lifting bits of rubble and taking them over and dumping them. 
nobody had asked her to. She just decided she was going to do this. When the boys saw that, they had to join in. So they started to join in. So then when the bigger um, teenagers saw that, they had to join in. And then the men joined in. So everybody then piled in. And in fact, we ran out of tools um, very quickly. So we had to dispatch somebody off to get more tools. And there you go. That's the finished product. So replastered and going to stay there. Now, there was some opposition to this. Um, there were local developers who wanted to clear this land to build hotels for tourists. So they weren't particularly happy that we were doing this, but uh, that's where Habitat will step in and work with uh, people who are very disadvantaged. Now, I want to introduce you to this guy. This is Joseph. He's actually the brother of that little girl, Mary. Um, and I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit about him in a minute. Now, the working conditions here, temperatures were in the high 30s. One day, I think it hit 40 degrees. Um, Don't get me wrong, I love the heat, but boy, oh boy, <laughs> this was just insufferable. So we got to lunchtime the first day and we decided, right, let's go for a swim. So we all ran down to the beach. By this stage, anybody that's been to India will know, like, you're just surrounded by kids all the time. So we started going down to the beach, this troop of kids following us. Um, we ran into the water, turned around, and all the children were standing at the top of the beach. And um, wouldn't come into the water. Um, and as we found out later, it's you know obviously still traumatized by the whole thing. So, so eventually, as the week went on, we coaxed them down, got them um, closer and closer. Until eventually, this was the last day. So eventually, we, we got them down into the water and we're playing with them, and that was that was great. Um, now, it was only at the very end of the, the trip, we were only there for a week, um, and we repaired something like 30 houses. But the village leaders were doing a kind of presentation thing at the end, and they said to us, um, it's very important that you came here, uh, not, not because you um, saved our houses, you've actually saved our future. These children are the children who will be um, growing up to become fishermen. And our, our village depends on fishing. So uh, we didn't know how to get them back into the water, but you did it for us. Now, that, that was never part of the plan. It was never part of our plan. It was obviously part of God's plan. Um, but that's uh, what we did. So. 
Uh, I'm just going to leave you with Joseph. Joseph was one of the children who uh, I kind of got to know quite a bit. And uh, I'm going to leave the final word with him. So this is Joseph on the right. So he's just been in for a swim. Give him a round of applause or a thumbs up. <clears throat> Thanks, Alan. Awesome, awesome. But can you, you can all see, I'm sure, uh, why we thought these stories tied together so much. Um, a ruined Jerusalem or a ruined fishing village in India, uh, a tsunami or an invading army. Life was tough. There was nothing but rubble. Um, and God was good. Rebuilding happened. But what happened in the rebuilding was something so much more significant just than the, than the physical rebuilding. The walls of Jerusalem grew again. The house was plastered, as you saw. All sorts of little, little similarities between the stories, even down to the fact that there was uh, local opposition as the building work happened. But in both cases, the physical building wasn't the important thing. As Alan says, God's plan always was that community and hope and futures were rebuilt uh, in a much more deeper and more profound way than just one brick being put on another uh, in the physical rebuilding. So that's two of our stories. The third one you'll be glad to hear is very, very short because the third one is our story. It's the story that is still being written day by day as you and I live through 2020 in Beaver. And so I have stolen, just stole, not even borrowed or, you know, I, I loved Alan's little thing. Ready? Ah, how did you do that? That's, uh, that's my most Im impressive part of the whole presentation. I love this. So our little flyover of Beaver, we have lived through not exactly the same as the army pillaging Jerusalem. It's definitely not on the kind of level of terror, terror of the tsunami devastating that uh, fishing village. But we've lived through our own wave of fear and disease and destruction and broken, brokenness uh, over these last months. But as the story is being written, as rebuilding is happening in all sorts of ways, and here tonight, worshiping together and praying together, we're part of that story. We're part of figuring out how to do church differently, how to do community differently. We're figuring out how to do school differently, education differently. We're figuring out how to work from home. Who of us in this last year hasn't at some stage said, oh, I've learned something new today. Every day's a school day. We're finding all sorts of new skills and new connections and new contacts and new hopes uh, as we rebuild our lives and rebuild our world after this year that we have just been through. And so we are finding that life is tough, but God is good, and we are stronger together, and that um, what God is doing amongst us isn't just a physical rebuilding thing, and it's certainly not just putting things back the way they used to be. It's not just rebuilding the house as it was last year. We're actually finding that we're part of something bigger and better and more amazing and more exciting. So in Jerusalem, they rebuilt the walls, but they found out actually all along God was wanting to rebuild their community. In India, they rebuilt those houses, but they found out all along 
that God was wanting to rebuild their futures, uh, their ability to go out to sea and to fish and to earn and to, uh, yeah, to give them the confidence and the, the joy of being back in the water. And today, as we are being rebuilt, as our church and our community are being rebuilt, what has God got in store for us? Isn't that exciting? Let's pray. So Lord, we bring each of those three things to you. Um, first, that life is tough and coronavirus is a terrible thing. We do not diminish or uh, uh, try, try to sort of skim over it. Tsunami was a terrible thing. Destruction of Jerusalem was a terrible thing. Life is tough on this world. And we don't just take that for granted or minimize it. And it has been tough for some of us individually, for our families and our communities and our workplaces, for our children. It has been a tough year. But in that, you have been good. In that, we have found you sometimes in a deeper way than ever before. We have experienced blessing and strength. We have discerned your voice. We have found that your plans are so much deeper and broader and wider and more amazing than our plans. You are good. And Lord, we just offer to you this hope that as we are rebuilt, as we are discovering that we're stronger together, together with each other and together with you, that what happened in Jerusalem two and a half thousand years ago, that what happened in India a couple of years ago will be happening with us. That as physical rebuilding takes place, that something more profound and more wonderful and more transformative happens in our hearts and lives and communities. That we don't just rebuild things as they were and rebuild physical things that we remember. That we're actually part of being transformed, being caught up in your plans and purposes for this world. So Lord, we thank you. Thank you that this, this is what you do and that life with you is never easy, but certainly never boring. So thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. To hear previous weeks and for more information, go to beaverparish.co.uk forward slash sermons.